Welcome to Life Church Podcasts. We know you'll be blessed by this message. Uh, I'm like Ian, it's really good when you come into church and, and you hear a song or something and it's about what's been on your heart and the one today we were singing was the whole earth is filled with his glory, the whole earth is filled, my whole life is filled with his glory, you know, and it just resonates and think, oh God, you know, because there is a sense of saying, you know, is this really what you want me to say, Lord, or is it just me, you know, I get preoccupied with something and I keep studying it, but this one just sort of... Um, about a week ago started thinking about the glory of God and not so much the glory of God where the heavy presence comes down. We know that's, you know, a, a spectacular, supernatural, but about the glory of God that's around us and the whole world is filled with it and what comes out of the glory of God. So I'd just like to share from John 11. No, I'm not sharing from John 11. Yes, I am. 11.1 in the wrong page. And we know that, you know, from what Jesus said, he didn't have a place to lay his head that he called his own. So he had three friends who were very, very special to him, and that was Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And he spent a lot of time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and they were very hospitable people from what we understand and I thought one of the things that we treasure is our home isn't it that we have a home that we can go to and that we have our loved ones around us and our friends around us and our neighbours around us but Jesus didn't always had that he had people who loved him but he had people who wanted to stone him Like he didn't have that place of safety to run home to like we do. So these special people were very pivotal, I believe, in the life of Jesus. He would have run home to them quite often to rest there. Now we find at the beginning of the story that a man named Lazarus was sick and he was from Bethany and the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume over the feet of Jesus. You probably know that story. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now the disciples were with Jesus when this word came. The one you love is sick. Now, Jesus knew that he could go and that he could do something straight away. And Mary and Mary knew that. Mary knew that she had complete and utter confidence in Jesus. So she didn't go in and say he's dead. She just said he's sick because she had that intimate relationship with him and she knew that he knew all things. Do we know that? You know, I thought, how amazing that when we sit down to pray, we don't have to tell him all the bad things that are happening or what we see, we can just pray the answer. We can just declare the good things because he knows all the bad. Because sometimes we can get so preoccupied with the bad things, me too, that you forget the good things and you get really consumed by that. So they knew Jesus very well. And Jesus knew he had the authority to deal with that. But he said this was for God's glory. It was for God's glory. 
This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So there was a reason. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And their, their comments were, why would you want to go back there? They stone you, you know. Why would you want to go back? It would be like committing suicide going back there. It would just be really, really, really bad. But it was for God's glory that he had to go there. I just think, you know, how fearful would we feel if someone said, we've got to go there, and we knew that there would be people trying to stone you, you know. So we don't blame the, we don't blame, um, the disciples at all for feeling like that. But for God's glory. We find that time and time again, God talks about, uh, Jesus talks about the glory in John seven thirty nine, he says, oh, John says, the spirit had not yet come because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had to be glorified. And in John, 10, uh, John 12, 23, Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And how was he going to be glorified? Through the cross, through the cross of Jesus. Everything we have in Jesus came with a very, very heavy price on the Son of God and on God our Father. John also says that after Jesus died on the cross, his disciples remembered all these things, all the times that they doubted, all the times that they didn't just get up and do, all the times. But we doubt too. We're, you know, we have fears. We're afraid. It's okay. And he knew that to go to Bethany too was to take a step that would lead to the cross. It was the last step that led to the cross and that happened. The priest used to be chosen by Herod and the Romans each year. So if everybody followed Jesus and they weren't worshipping where the Pharisees and everybody wanted them, there would be no jobs. It would be serious and the Romans would take over. So it was very important for them to get rid of Jesus. They didn't want Jesus out there doing the work that he did. When some trial or persecution comes at us, I thought, here's Jesus knowing that he's going to the cross. And yet, he, you know, he goes joyfully to the cross for us. And when we have a trial, I mean, you know, the first thing I do is I rebuke it. You know, what do you do? Do you rebuke it? Like, I'm going to rebuke this. I'm not going to have this. But sometimes we have to go through the trial. We have to do that. We have, but he's with us. Wherever we are, whatever we go through, Jesus is with us. He said, I'll never leave you. No, never, no, never will I ever relax my hold on you. So we have that in our hearts and we know that. But our first thing is let's rebuke it and get rid of it. Yet in John eleven six to 10, it talks about Jesus waited two days. He waited two days because the glory was going to be even greater it would be even greater after four days because it was two days' journey to get there. It's very hard for us to understand in our day, isn't it, that they had to walk for two days. We trust Jesus to always be on time. He's always on time for us. Every, everything we go through, Jesus is on time. We want it now, but Jesus is on time. So I think we need to sometimes... Encourage yourself with that. It seems so hard, but Jesus is on time. 
Yeah, so the disciples were not very happy about going. And then Jesus said in verse 9, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles and when he has no light. Time is fixed. We each have an allotted amount of days. Everybody's day is the same length, but some people accomplish a lot and some people accomplish little. So do we think, oh, plenty of time, time for everything, no need to rush. When you retire, you do that. I do it a bit. Or do we say, there's only 12 hours of light. This can't be extended. There is enough time, but not enough to waste. You know, that's a little bit of a, you know, do what God is telling you to do and do it today. You know, don't, don't wait, don't waste any time. Darkness, not time for travelling. Jesus is the light of the world. Wherever Jesus goes, he does bring the light. We walk with Jesus. The gospel is always good news of the glory of God, always good news. Gospel means good news. Very exciting. But what a tragedy if we heard too late that we'd missed doing something that was really important for God. But the disciples even misunderstood when... You know, he heard, they heard sleeping. They said, oh, that, you know, that'll be good news if he's sleeping. You're like, he'll be refreshed and he'll be ready to go. You know, like they were always about two or three steps behind Jesus in the understanding, but so are we quite often. So Jesus knew that after four days, this miracle would do something amazing in the people who saw that, something amazing. It did amazing things, but it also took him closer to the cross. And he was prepared to do that, knowing that the next step was the cross. We need to show and demonstrate God's glory whenever we can too. His goodness, we need to do that. Now, no one can argue with God when God's moving. No one can argue with that, can they? Like, even an atheist can't say, well, that didn't happen because there it is, it's happened. You know, it's happened. And you can't argue the person out of a miracle because it's too late. They've got it. They can't be argued out of it. So miracles build faith. They build faith in us too because it's just amazing when God does something. I don't know about you, but, you know, even when God does something for me now, like there's this sense of, oh, God, you did that for me. You know, like we forget Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And sometimes we come to him and just don't realise how much that love is that Jesus has for us. And we do have a a tremendous responsibility to live our lives as a demonstration of God's love. When a crisis comes, it gives us opportunity to show what God can do, but often we just flounder about in that. When I was working and we were having workshops, one of the things we were taught was that the word crisis, and you, you probably heard this, the word crisis in Chinese is opportunity. So we were told when you're in your family and they're having a, a crisis, you could say to them, this is opportunity, we can change the way we do things, we can move on. So when we have a crisis, that's a good thing to think of too, that that a crisis makes us change. It makes us think differently, walk differently, do lots of things differently. 
So the disciples sort of could have said, no, we're not going, but they didn't. They didn't do that. And then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He was being very dramatic. And here was, you know, good old Thomas that we say, you know, wouldn't believe and had to see the hands and the feet of Jesus. But here he was. He was ready to go and he was ready to die for Jesus. It wasn't really what you would call um, expecting faith or expected faith. It was more like um, I'm being loyal here, but, you know, like I'm... It's despair, but I'm going to go with you anyway. But, you know, he was going to go anyway. And then the others went too. I thought that was pretty good. Um, some of us here know a lovely man called Ronnie Haybor. And I can remember, you know, when he first was called to Borneo and there was all the things going on at that time where he was going, that were happening with, ISIS now, you know, like terrible, horrible things. And I can remember he said to me, if I die, I die, but I must go. And he's still there. And he's done absolutely amazing, amazing things. If I die, I die. I thought, you know, what a commitment. What a commitment. So Thomas was probably very afraid, and it's all right to be afraid, but he went anyway. Um, in Palestine, when they had a burial, it was usually followed by a very uh, death. It was followed by a very quick burial. So to wait four days was really quite amazing to everybody, to wait all that time. But it had to be when Jesus arrived, of course. So we find that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And I thought, his Mary, his Martha being true to character, she was on the go, she was moving, whereas Mary sat at home. Remember Martha and Mary, the story of them? And Martha wanted to do, come on, Mary, come on, get up and help. Don't sit there listening to Jesus. So Martha was the doer and Mary was sitting still. But anyway, Martha went to meet Jesus, but Mary stayed at home and Martha said, if you'd been here, Lord, my brother would not have died, but I know even now that he will do whatever you ask. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Positive word to her, your brother will rise again. And she, and she said, I know he will in the resurrection at the last day. She's correcting Jesus here. And he said, but I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said. Yes, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come. And then she ran back and she told Mary to come. And when the people saw Mary going out, the men saw Mary going out, they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to mourn and to cry. And the, and the custom was to cry very loudly and you know, to, to prove how much you love that person. But she wasn't going there at all. She was going to Jesus. So when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Isn't that a Mary thing to do? She just fell at his feet. And all the people who were looking to see her go and mourn saw her kneeling at the feet of Jesus and just looking up at his face, just worshipping him. 
And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and said, Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they said. And then we have the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He wept. He, he understands our, our fears, our failures, our pain, our loss. He understands all of those things. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, well, he healed the blind people. He did miracles. Why didn't he come? You know, why wasn't he here? Yeah, he who opened the blind eyes could have kept this man from dying. And those things will also happen. So there was Mary at his feet. And it says here, one translation said, he gave way to such distress of spirit as made his body tremble. I mean, this was extreme pain and stress for Jesus. However, one Greek word means that such a deep emotion seized Jesus that an involuntary groan was wrung from his heart. So he really showed his emotion, he showed his love. This is so precious, really, that knowing that Jesus entered into the pain of Mary and Martha and those around who loved Lazarus. I just love that. And I, I read that the Greeks believed that God was unable to feel emotion. So the Greek readers, when the Gospels were written, would have got a bit of a fright, wouldn't they? <laughs> because it blew their theory right out of it. So then, he comes to the cave and he says, take away the stone. And Mary immediately says, Lord, if we do that, there'll be a real, Martha said, there'll be a really, really bad odour because he's been in there for four days and this is a very hot climate. And then Jesus said, and I just love this, he said, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? The glory of God. You will see the glory of God. And I guess out of that, you know, like when God says something to us, hang on to it. Have I not said? And with everything in here is for us. Like he died for us. We have his words in here. He speaks to us quite often, through all the time, actually, through his word. So cling on to that word that he speaks to you. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and then he prayed and he said, Father, I'm praying, I know that you're going to do this, but I'm praying so that the people here will hear me praying and asking you and they will believe that you did it when they see this glory. And then with a loud voice he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walked out in grave clothes, you know, and the napkin across his head. And Jesus said, unwrap him, take the, take the grave clothes off and let him go. And so I think too sometimes we can have still grave clothes around us, things from our past, things that we haven't understood, haven't worked through, you know, deep hurts, take them off, get rid of them, you know, because we've got to keep moving, we've got to keep moving on. And here's where I'm going to jump around just a little bit and get back to the glory that you know, I'm not going to be telling the whole story of Moses wanting to see the glory of God because I'm sure that a lot of you will already know that. But Moses, my heading says Moses and the glory of God. And I just love it that Moses said to the Lord, you know, you've been telling me to lead these people 
and I've led these people around in the wilderness and, you know, like I know that you love me, you said I know you by name and you said I've got your favour, but if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways. This is back in the Old Testament. Teach me your ways and remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said, like, well, that's okay if your presence doesn't go with us. Do not send us. In other words, I don't think I would cope with this lot if I didn't have your presence. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? There's things that distinguish us from all those other people on the earth. The fact that we have the glory of God within us. We have the presence of God on us. But I love it that he says that. And then the Lord said, I'll do that. I'll do the thing you ask because I'm pleased with you. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. <laughs> I thought, you know, we could read that and think, oh, that was a bit presumptuous. Right, oh, Lord, show me your glory. But he had that relationship with the Lord. And then he said, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then the Lord, uh, he, then Moses went up the mountain, as we know, and took the stone tablets again. And then when he came down, the Lord was there, came down in the cloud and stood there and he proclaimed the name. He proclaimed his name. Moses said, show me your glory. And Jesus uh, and God proclaimed his name. And that's when we were singing this morning, the whole earth is filled, the whole earth is filled with his glory because everything that is good comes from his glory, you know. And I thought, oh, I'm getting a bit carried away here with this, but it just kept in my heart and in my mind. And then it said, he passed in front of Moses and he said, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousand and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And so that, you know, that's the glory of God. And because I read sometimes in the good old Dakes, if anyone's got a Dakes Bible, just love it. And so I looked it up and I thought, now let's just have a look because this is what God's saying. Let's see what Dake says. What's the glory? And it said, the goodness. And again, not speaking about the supernatural presence of God that comes down. That's a different thing that's still in the glory of God. But this is something that's with us all the time. And it said, superlative. And I thought, that's not even a word I use, superlative. I had to look it up because, and then it was anything, it was above and higher than any other good. Anything that's good, it doesn't come anywhere near God. The highest degree, the best of a person, and even beauty. And this is what Dakes wrote here. No act of will was merited by man. So that's, we, were, we didn't deserve all this. We didn't become good people so that we would get this. But that God's will was the basis of all his blessings. He blesses you because he wills to bless you. He wants to do it. He's determined to do it. He loves to do it. 
Not because man wills it to be, but because God is essentially good and gracious and does everything for man after his own free will and choice. So God's doing this from the beginning of time because of his own free will and choice. It being his pleasure to will that man will be blessed. That's his pleasure to bless you. It's his pleasure. We've still got a little bit of time. I had another one here that I thought maybe I won't do, but I will. Um, the story, the story of the paralytic man, that was um, that was healed by Jesus. I just think that's you know that's a great story too. And you know Jesus was in a house. He was having a house meeting. And the house was absolutely filled with people. They were hanging out the windows and they were in the doorway. And it said the presence of, the, presence of the Lord was there and the power to heal was there. Now, these men had a friend who was a paralytic and they determined that they were going to bring their friend and that they were going to see that friend be healed. I thought, gosh, that's the sort of friends we all need, don't we? I am determined that you are going to be healed. And, and so they brought him on the bat and there was no way that anyone would let them in. You know, would we give up our front seat at a concert that we'd been there for hours? No, we wouldn't. Well, they weren't going to give up their place either to have this man come in and take up all that space. So these men got up on the roof and whatever they did, they, they made a hole in the roof and you could imagine the people sitting there looking up thinking, what is happening? There's bits falling in on us. And down comes this man on a mat. And Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees riled up at that and they said, who gives him, who gives him the right to say, you know, your sins are forgiven you? And Jesus said, but is it any easier to say be healed or your sins be forgiven? I just love it the way it's all just so natural, you know, and how he just answers the back so calmly and, and, and no wonder they really didn't like Jesus. They really didn't like what he was doing. And then he said to the paralysed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Now, after we've been sick or haven't moved for a while, this man had been paralytic, perhaps forever, and he jumped up. I mean, think about the, the glory of God that must have been on him that he didn't gingerly get up to see if his legs would work, he jumped up. He jumped up and he rolled up his mat and then the Lord said to him, you know, go your way, go home. Now this is where, you know, I, I was reading this and I think I've been a bit picky here probably. And so because I, you know, I sort of sometimes like to read through the King James Version and then my New International. And so in the New International it says, he took what he had been lying on and he went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things here. And they had, they'd seen remarkable things. And then in the King James, you know, usually the King James, you think, you know, the modern versions open it up and give us a clearer understanding of what it's like now, the language. In the King James says, he glorified God. And I thought, you know, like I praise a certain brand of ice cream 
and I praise my grandkids all the time. You praise, you know, like I really like that and yeah, I, yeah, that's good. But we don't glorify everything, do we? I just think glorifying, the word glorifying, takes our worship and our thanksgiving to a higher level than if we just think praise. I mean, we do praise here, of course, we praise. And then the, and then the people went home and they were glorifying God also. And I thought, imagine the flow on from that meeting. There's this paralytic walking around the village, glorifying God. I mean, perhaps he was jumping and hopping and waving his arms and saying, I can walk, I can walk. Thank you, God. God did this for me. And then the people go home and they say, guess what we saw today? Oh, God was glorified, you know. And as I was thinking about that, I thought back to the time when the anointing was in the church and how the glory of God, how the word spread and... And I, I've got a minute, I can tell you this. Um, some of us went on a church crawl, not a pub crawl, but a church crawl. And Lorraine was one of them, she'll remember this, and another friend. And we went to two churches. One of them was so boring that we walked out before it finished. That was with an overseas speaker. And then the next one was just a lovely service. And then on the last day, we went to Dingley Christ Church in Dingley, Anglican Church. And we thought, this will be interesting, Pentecostals going into an Anglican church. But their vicar had been to England to one of the big churches there and had received the blessing, as they called it, or, you know, a touch of God. And it was just an ordinary old hall with just bare boards. And this love, and there was people standing around the building and they just, you know, like some older ladies, older men, younger people, just different people in groups all by themselves. And the vicar came, you know, he was just this lovely, ordinary person and he said, look, I'm just going to leave you here now. I'm going to have a cup of coffee and get on with my sermon. I think he said something like that. Just go to whoever you feel and they'll pray for you and God will do something here tonight. And so we all just went to someone different, you know, and I went to this young man in the flannelette shirt with a beard and he said he was an Anglican vicar and he was only young and I thought, oh, well, that's good. If God's going to do something for me, I'd pick someone that I probably would never pick, which was a very awful thing to think. And this man laid hands on me and said, receive God and, and something dramatic happened, you know, and then we went home and there was a house meeting that night and the next night and it blew the roof off the house. The neighbours were outside. The neighbours were in the court going, what is happening in there? And it was like, you know, it was like the glory of God just came. One man was so excited he went for a drive and forgot to come back and get his wife and he went home. <laughs> And she was, she was waiting to go home and we couldn't get people out. We were trying to drag them out, you know, and this is at the end of a court. The next night we said to the people there, we'll have a meeting tomorrow night in the church. Well, the next night, without any advertising, the church was overflowing with people from every church. Every church was there, 100 more people. That's what the glory of God. No one had to say, now go and invite five people. Everybody just went and glorified God. And as they glorified God, people wanted to come and see what was happening, even when I went to work. 
you know, I couldn't help but tell them what was happening. What's happening now? You know, it was so exciting. Anyway, that to me that was just seeing a, a glimpse of what God is going to do, and there's going to be more. There really is going to be more. I know because that gave us all such a taste to move in the anointing and the glory of God. But while I was while I was just thinking about this, I was just sort of doodling, you know, and I drew a circle, and then I thought oh, this is what it's like. You know, the glory is the goodness of God and he pours that glory down on us, that comes down and it does something so amazing in us that we glorify him back and then he pours out more glory down and I thought, oh, it looks like a circle. Is that good theology, Pastor Darrell? You know, that it just it, it's a never-ending circle of just God pouring out upon you and then you and me just thanking him and going, God, you're so amazing. I know you could do it and you've done it again. So I just want to encourage everybody here today, like has happened already, the glory of God covers the earth and Jesus loves me, this I know, and that he wants to do amazing things in your life, things that you know you probably haven't even thought of yet. He's got a plan for your life and it's going to be wonderful and just be blessed and enjoy him and glorify him. You know, some of the Psalms, I can remember the old church in, in um, Dandenong, the first little church that the AOG had, it had um, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And the first bit of it was the glory of God covers the earth, worship the Lord. And I, I still have that imprinted in my mind. It was just in big letters, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And that's what we saw. You know, We've been listening to Life Church podcast. For more information, and head to yeah, lifechurchvanilla.com.au. Everywhere we go, we can't get away from it. So be blessed.